All right, Wrestling With Theology fans, this is Pastor Doug Minton here standing in the confessional corner with week two of Apology 12, Part B. We don't need satisfactions. We talked at the end of last week about the early church in the times of persecution having satisfactions, fruit worthy of repentance for those who had fallen away during the persecutions who were wanting to come back. And this was a great controversy in the early church, that there were some who had the idea that once you fell away, you could not come back. There was no repentance available for Christians, only for non-Christians. And once you had fallen from being a Christian, you weren't even a non-Christian anymore. You were more like the heathen and the tax collector that nobody wanted to mess with. And the Orthodox Church Fathers are like, no, you don't get it. Sin is sin, whether it's done before baptism or after baptism, whether it's done with full knowledge or with no knowledge. Sin is sin. And every sin, with the exception of unbelief, is able to be forgiven. So this week we're going to look at paragraph 16 through 33 of Apology chapter or Article 12b. And this is primarily the church fathers talking about satisfactions and then also some use of the scriptures as the confutation radically misuses them and twists them around to their own meaning when it doesn't even say anything like that to begin with. We're going to start off paragraphs 16 through 20. The word satisfaction has been left from this rite of public repentance. The Holy Fathers were unwilling to welcome back the fallen or the notorious sinner unless, as far as it was possible, their repentance had first been examined and shown publicly. There seemed to have been many causes for this. To discipline those who had fallen served as an example, as a gloss upon the decrees reminds us. Also, it was improper to admit notorious people immediately to communion. These customs have long since grown obsolete. It is not necessary to restore them because they are not necessary for the forgiveness of sins before God. The fathers did not maintain that people merit the forgiveness of sins through such customs or works. These spectacles, outward ceremonies, usually led astray the ignorant who thought that they merited forgiveness of sins before God by these works. If anyone believes this, he has the faith of a Jewish person and a pagan. For even the pagans had certain remedies for offenses through which they imagined they were reconciled to God. Now, even though the custom has been set aside, the word satisfaction still remains. A small part of the custom also remains of prescribing in confession certain satisfactions, which they define as works that are not required. We call them canonical satisfactions. Like the complete listing of sin, we hold that canonical satisfactions are not necessary by divine law for the forgiveness of sins. Neither were those ancient displays of satisfactions in public repentance necessary by divine law for the forgiveness of sins. The teaching about faith must be kept, that we receive the forgiveness of sins for Christ's sake through faith, not for the sake of our works that precede or follow. This is why we have discussed especially the question of satisfactions. The righteousness of faith should not be clouded over in submitting to them. Nor should people think that they receive the forgiveness of sins for the sake of these works. Many current sayings in the schools aid the error. 
Among them are those that give the definition of satisfaction, namely that it is done to reconcile divine displeasure. As I said in the opening, in the early church, especially in the times of persecution, especially in times like the Decian persecution, the Orthodox fathers were leery about welcoming anybody back who had fallen away because truly they needed to show their repentance. And it was done publicly because they had sinned publicly in most cases because they were brought out to sacrifice to Caesar. And that was done very publicly. This was not done in a little corner office with the door closed and the blinds shut. This was done very publicly, very openly in the marketplace. And if people knew you were Christian or other Christians saw a Christian giving that pinch of incense even to Caesar, they knew they had fallen away. And their faith was now beginning to be threatened because if this person could fall away, what keeps me from being able to fall away? The Orthodox Fathers wanted proof that they were truly repentant when they came back to the church. So there were times where they offered and prescribed satisfactions to be made, to make satisfaction, not in the eyes of God, but in the eyes of the church. And I have heard stories about this for years, where even to the point of people who were breaking off an engagement to be married had to go in front of the church to publicly acknowledge the fact that they were breaking up. Nowadays, we don't even bother with that. We don't, most people don't even tell the church that they're even engaged because, well, we'll get engaged, we'll figure out some things, and then we'll decide where to have the ceremony because, of course, the church doesn't have a place in the marriage for a lot of people, and that is unfortunate. But even when they described and prescribed satisfactions for the people coming back from the persecutions, having apostatized, having turned away. None of it was in the eyes of God. All of it was in the eyes of the people. Public apologies would be even better way of saying this to those brothers and sisters in the congregation that they had caused to stumble because of their actions, because of their weakness of faith. And for those who do believe that you need these works to prove yourself before God, that's not the religion of the gospel. That's the religion of the law. Or as Melanchthon says, that's the law of the Jews and the pagans. And I would say we could even put in the Turks in there as well, because Every religion outside of Christianity focuses on your works that you do to make yourself right with God. Christianity is the only religion that says you can't repay your deeds. You can't undo your sin. Only Jesus can undo your sin. We move on into paragraphs 21 through 24. Nevertheless, the adversaries admit that satisfactions do not help in the pardon of guilt. They imagine that satisfactions help in delivering one from punishment, whether of purgatory or of other punishments. They teach that God pardons guilt and the forgiveness of sins. Yet because divine justice requires sin to be punished, he transfers eternal punishment into the temporal punishment. 
Further, they add that a part of this temporal punishment is pardoned by the power of the keys, but that the rest is delivered by means of satisfactions. It cannot be understood which punishments the power of the keys partially forgive, unless the adversaries say that a part of the punishments of purgatory is forgiven. That would mean that satisfactions are only punishments delivering from purgatory. They say satisfactions benefit, even though they are presented by those who have fallen again into mortal sin, as though indeed the divine displeasure could be appeased by those who are in mortal sin. This entire matter is fake and recently made up without scriptural authority in the old writers of the church. Not even Lombard speaks of satisfactions in this way. The scholastics saw that there were satisfactions in the church. They did not notice that these displays had been set up both for the purpose of example and for testing those who desired to be welcomed back by the church. In a word, they did not see that it was a discipline and entirely a secular matter. So they superstitiously imagine that these displays benefit not for discipline before the church, but for reconciling God. In other places, they frequently, with great incompetence, have confused spiritual and civil matters. The same happens also regarding satisfactions. But at various places, the explanation of the canons confirms that these observances were set up for the sake of church discipline. This is the problem. You have a mixture of church and state, which happened in the medieval time to a very horrible degree, to the point that by the time of the Reformation, you had seven electors of the Holy Roman Empire. Three of those electors were archbishops. They had high ranking in the church and high ranking in the secular government, and the two got intertwined all the time. And it's sad because that intertwining caused a lot of problems, which is why Luther had to speak up. Luther had to make known the problems. And the reformers had to keep going after it. And Melanchthon again and again and again has to go after the problems because the problems were brought in because of the confusion between the secular and the ceremonial, between the secular and the spiritual. You cannot mix those two. This is why the founding fathers of America put in that the government cannot force a religion on people. You cannot mandate a religion upon the entire population because they knew that was a bad mixture because they had studied their history. We move on now into the section that we'll start this week and finish up next week of misuses of the scripture in the confutation regarding repentance and confession and absolution. In the confutation, the adversaries had the nerve to impose on his imperial majesty. Let us see how they prove these fables of theirs. They cite many passages from the scriptures to impress the inexperienced. They do this as though this subject, unknown even in the time of Lombard, had authority from the scriptures. They promote such passages as these, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, Matthew 3.8 and also Mark 1.15. Present your members as slaves to righteousness, Romans 6.19. Christ preaches repentance, repent, Matthew 4.17. 
Again, Christ commands the apostles to preach repentance, Luke 24, 47, and Peter preaches repentance, Acts 2, 38. Afterward, the adversaries quote certain passages of the fathers and the canons and conclude that satisfactions in the church are not to be set aside. This is contrary to the plain gospel and the decrees of the councils and fathers. They even claim that those who have been absolved by the priest should finish the repentance that has been directed. They base this on Paul's declaration who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Titus 2.14 May God confuse these godless philosophers. They wickedly distort God's word to their own most empty dreams. What good person is not moved by such insult? Christ says repent. The apostles preach repentance. Therefore, eternal punishments are relieved by the punishments of purgatory. Therefore, the keys have the power to pardon part of the punishments of purgatory. Therefore, satisfactions deliver from the punishments of purgatory. Who has taught these asses such logic? Yet this is neither logic nor slick thinking, but deceitful trickery. They appeal to the expression repent in such a way that when the inexperienced hear such a call cited against us, they may come to the opinion that we deny repentance in its entirety. By these moves, they try hard to turn away minds and to stir up hatred. They do this so that the inexperienced may cry out against us, that the deadly heretics that disapprove of repentance may be removed from their midst. Is that not exactly the way things still go in 2020 and 2021? I mean, we talk about wanting to have a platform where we can talk and be able to disagree, but be able to respect each other. And all we do is paint up caricatures of the other side, paint them up as evil people who must be abolished and cast out and thrown away because they don't agree with us. And you can pick your item of interest for that discussion, and it will just go on and on. We can go on with many, many things. But the problem is, when we go on and start eating each other alive for the minutiae, when the big stuff comes along, what's going to happen? I mean, they had the populace so under their control, by their control of the information, that they hear them talking about repentance with us, and they think that Lutherans don't value repentance, that Lutherans don't like confession, that Lutherans don't forgive. It's like, that's the entirety of the Lutheran faith right there, is the deliverance of the forgiveness of sins, because that is what Christ sought for the apostles and the pastors after them to teach is the faithful understanding of the forgiveness of sins for his sake. We move on into 27 through 33. We hope that these lies may make little headway among good people. We also hope that God will not put up with such rudeness and wickedness much longer. The Pope of Rome has not become any more dignified using such patrons because he has entrusted a very important matter of the greatest importance to the judgment of these philosophers. Since we include almost all of the Christian doctrine in the Confession, judges should have been appointed to declare what important in various matters. 
Their learning in faith would have been more acceptable than the learning of these philosophers who have written this confutation. It was very fitting of you, O Compegius, according to your wisdom, to have made sure that they should write nothing about important matters that either now or later might appear to lower respect for the Roman See. If the Roman See determines that all nations should recognize her as mistress of the faith, she should try very hard to have educated and godly people investigate religious matters. What will the world conclude if at any time the adversary's writing is brought to light? What will future generations think about these disgraceful judicial investigations? You see, O Compagius, that these are the last days. Christ predicted that the greatest danger to religion would happen in them. Matthew 24, 9-28 You who should sit on the watchtower, Hosea 9, 8, and control religious matters, should in these times also use unusual witness, wisdom and diligence. Unless you heed them, there are many signs that threaten a change to the Roman state. And you make a mistake if you think that churches should be kept only by force and arms. The people are asking to be taught about religion. How many do you suppose there are, not only in Germany, but also in England, in Spain, in France, in Italy, and finally even in the city of Rome? Since controversies have come up about subjects of the greatest importance, they are beginning to doubt here and there, to be silently insulted that you refuse to investigate and rightly judge such weighty subjects. They doubt and are insulted that you do not help wavering consciences, that you only ask us to be overthrown and destroyed by arms. To many good people, this doubt is more bitter than death. You do not think enough about how great a subject religion is if you think that good people are in anguish for little reason when they doubt any teaching. This doubt can have no other effect than to produce the greatest bitterness of hatred against those who hinder the explanation of the subject when they should heal consciences. We are not saying here that you should fear God's judgment. The religious leaders think that they can easily ensure against this since they hold the keys. Of course, they can open heaven for themselves whenever they want. We are speaking of the judgments of people and the silent desires of all nations. At this time, they require that these matters be investigated and decided so that good minds may be healed and freed from doubt. For according to your wisdom, you can easily decide what will happen if at any time this hatred should break out against you. By this favor, you will be able to bind all nations to yourself. All sane people regard it as the highest and most important matter if you heal doubting consciences. We have said these things not because we doubt our confession, for we know that it is true, godly, and useful to godly consciences. It is likely that there are many in many places who waver about matters of no small importance, yet they do not hear teachers that are able to heal their consciences. The biggest thing with Rome is they had set up all of this for themselves. And they set it up so that they might gain the best advantage. Because they deliver the confutation, but they will not give a copy of it to the reformers. They do not want anybody to actually see the words that they spoke. Because you can forget things that you've heard. But if it's there in writing, and Melanchthon wouldn't, I don't think he would see it in his entire lifetime. It would come out like 50 years after Augsburg, after they thought everything had died down. But then again, it hadn't died down, had it? What would happen when these teachings were brought to light? Well, we find out more and more as we looked at the confutation in between 
the Augsburg Confession, and the Apology. And we'll see it again even further as we get to the Formula of Concord at the end of the history of the Book of Concord, the last of the Lutheran Confessions, and see that these things have been taken up, and people have seen it and have written about it. And that Rome wants people to be firmly entrenched in doubt. They want people to really doubt that they are forgiven, doubt that they are Christians, doubt that they have faith. Why? Because if you doubt, you are more easily controlled. And if you kept in doubt, those who are feeding you information have greater control over you. And really, that is worse than death. Living a life full of doubt in anything, especially the most important things of religion and faith, that is worse than death. Because Jesus came to heal doubting consciences. He came to heal those whose consciences were hurt by those who tried to control them by the control of information. Whether it's the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Gospels or the Roman theologians and the scholastics in the Reformation or even today as people try to collect everything at their truth is the only truth. They keep you in doubt because they want control over you. But that's not the gospel. That's the law. And the law has nothing and no place in absolution and confession. Yes, the law drives you to confession, but it has no part of the confession except for that you have broken the law. That is the examination that you have made. But when you receive the absolution, that's all gospel. There should be no law. And that's where Rome started to get it wrong. They took these times of special occasions and special circumstances and tried to make it the rule. And every time you try to turn the exceptions into the rule, you end up showing yourself as nothing but a power-hungry tyrant. We don't need satisfactions. We need the words of forgiveness. That's all for this week in the Confessional Corner. I am Pastor Doug Minton. Thanking you for being here. Come back for Digging Deeper and Pro Wrestling America, your favorite fantasy wrestling organization on the internet. Moments of Meditation here for you as well every weekday morning. And until next time, I wish you God's richest blessings as you wrestle with theology. Amen.